from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, what is good and good morning. Happy Hump Day, security gang. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. It's Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, and it's our inaugural episode of Reaction Wednesday. And Reaction Wednesday, the final story of the day, will be a story I haven't read. Uh, one of you uh, awesome listeners or viewers sent it over to us. Um, we randomly picked it, put it up here, and submit your stories either through LinkedIn on our uh, LinkedIn page, through uh, X, through uh, um, our website at cyberhubpodcast.com. We'll grab these stories, try to share them on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, so we can get them on the Wednesday show. Uh, one story, live reaction. You don't know what I'm going to say. With that being said, we're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, X. Someone had to remind me yesterday. Uh, Rumble and Twitch. Good morning, everyone tuning in. Thank you all for being part of the program this morning. And now without further ado, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. So join me as your hate mail of how come you don't have anything to drink with us for a coffee cup cheers i've got a celsius this morning i do i got myself a celsius because i could get one of those in the evening put it in the fridge in my hotel room and then enjoy it with all of y'all this morning so it's not an espresso it's a celsius but we'll still stay coffee cup cheers y'all also because it's called i can take a longer sip which i appreciate because in the mornings my espressos are typically very hot which makes it kind of like Small sip, you don't want to burn your tongue in the middle of a live podcast. What kind of person would do that? That would be comedy gold. With that being said, though, we'll start off with some a very sad news from the great state of Mississippi, where one of the largest hospital systems in the state was forced to take several internal services offline after experiencing a major cyber attack that began last week. The Singing River Health System, which runs the Pascagoula uh, Hospital, Ocean Springs Hospital, and Gulfport Hospital, as well as dozens of clinics and centers along the Gulf Coast in the state of Mississippi, which is about an hour away from New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama. Local news outlet WLOCKS first reported on Sunday that the hospital system detected unusual activity on its network and was working with law enforcement agencies to address the situation. In a statement on Monday's official confirmed that they were first forced to take certain internal systems offline due to a cyber attack. Downtime procedures remain in place as we continue to see patients. They're working very hard to provide a more definitive information regarding what systems will be available and when, and they're working around the clock to do that. Uh, in comments to recorded future, a hospital spokesperson declined to say if they were dealing with ransomware or if a ransom would eventually be paid. They would not elaborate on which federal law enforcement agencies were contacted and when systems will be back, and that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, um, look, um, there, there, there's a few things to the story, and I'm going to, from a practitioner perspective, this is never good, right? Whenever we see um, hospitals and healthcare facilities impacted, you realize that. I think this is a double whammy, and I'll tell you why. If you've never been to the great state of Mississippi, and it really is one of the... Uh, one of the finest states our country has uh, from, from, from a people perspective, just the people that are so warm and, 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 and unbelievable and just really, really nice people. They're also healthcare system is one of the worst in the country. Um, and so when you take down one of their largest healthcare providers, you're really impacting the care that many people in Mississippi rely on. And I think that's the greater strategy tragedy here. And I think that's where there's gotta be kind of like a, like, 
you rank things. Yeah, I get New York, Los Angeles, major metro areas. You wanna you you wanna make sure they've got good good security, but these places are 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 prime targets. We saw that during COVID, and and we still see it today. And their systems are offline. So uh, our hearts are out to the folks over in Mississippi who are working on restoring the Singing River Health System. Um, so um, and 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 hopefully you guys will be able to do that. And and my 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 personal hope is that there'll be no loss of life or permanent damage to any any people who are sick. Uh, waiting for this to to be taken care of. This obviously falls on the hands of these criminals who target these hospitals, which should, by the way, be kind of like a Cosa Nostra type of rule. No women, no children. Don't hit hospitals, right? There's plenty of other businesses out there for you to do this on. A new hiatus RAT malware is attacking and targeting the U.S. Defense Department and its entire apparatus. The hiatus RAT malware campaign, which threat actors uh, have targeted a server belonging to the U.S. Department of Defense in what many have described as a reconnaissance attack. This is a significant shift in tactics, seeing that attacks previously focused on organizations from Latin America and Europe being deployed to compromise business class uh Trade Deck Vigor VPN routers used by medium-sized businesses for remotely connecting to corporate networks. However, as Lumen's Black Lotus Lab observed, the campaign's reconnaissance efforts took an unexpected turn in mid-June through August, where a U.S. military procurement system was also targeted and Taiwan-based organizations were also singled out. The hiatus RET samples were recompiled to cater to various architectures ranging from ARM, Intel 80386, and x86-64 to MIPS, MIPS64, and i386, and hosted on newly acquired virtual private servers. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Reggie for pointing out the story. One of these VPS nodes was used in a data transfer operation with U.S. military servers designated for contract proposals and submission. The website affiliation with contract proposals suggested that the attackers might be seeking publicly accessible information about military requisites or trying to find information on the DIB, the Defense Industrial uh, base affiliated organizations they're searching for some information that's public however they're they're likely looking to see if there's anything in the back end to this um so there's that there as well the akira ransomware gang is now targeting cisco vpns to breach organizations there's mounting evidence that the akira ransomware targeting cisco vpn products as an attack vector to breach corporate network steal and eventually encrypt data akira who are relatively new launched in march of this year with the group later adding a linux encryptor to target vmware esxi virtual machine something we talked about back in may cisco's vpn solutions are widely adopted across many industries to provide uh, all of this uh, VPN products. Akira has been using compromised Cisco VPN accounts to breach corporate networks without needing to drop additional backdoors or set up persistence. Uh, Surface first noted Akira's abuse of VPN accounts in May when researchers stated that the ransomware gang breached a network using VPN access using single-factor authentication. However, an incident responder known as Aura shared further information on X on how they responded to multiple Akira incidents that were conducted using Cisco VPN accounts that weren't protected by MFA. In a conversation, Aura said that due to the lack of logging in Cisco's ASA, it remains unclear if Akira brute forced the VPN account credentials or if they bought them on the dark web markets. And here's here's an issue, right? So if it doesn't log correctly or, or the logs aren't fully in there, here's the shortage this creates. Um, you, you don't have full visibility when there's an incident. And because you don't have uh, good logs, you really have no way of finding uh 
the incident unless something happens while you're really monitoring and you're upgrading those capabilities. So we'll kind of see that. They're using a Rust desk uh, according to Sentinel-1's watchtower, which is an open source remote access tool, and that's how they're navigating compromised systems. The benefits from using a Rust desk include cross-platform operation on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, which covers their entire targeting range. P2P connections are encrypted, hence less likely to be flagged by network traffic monitoring tools and support file transfer, which can facilitate data exfil streamlines Akira's toolkit. So other TTPs observed by Sentinel-1 include SQL database access and manipulation, disabling firewalls and enabling RDP, disabling LSA protection, and disabling Windows Defender. So these are kind of looking at these TTPs. You, you can set up some alerts. You can have your team investigate these really actively. And I see some of your comments, right, about, about some of this, but disabling your firewalls, enabling RDP, uh, uh, anytime your firewall is disabled, that should be an alert. Anytime someone disables Windows Defender, you should have some sort of backup there that really does turn on unless there's kind of a kill switch. Um, th there are ways to create persistence to this kind of stuff, you know, without having to go buy the latest shiny, shiny tool. Men, most tools don't address this to begin with. This is kind of more of a creative way of thinking with your team. How do I uh, address these TTPs and create some sort of alert to know when this is happening? And so plenty of ways to do that internally. Software makers are facing greater liability in the wake of the recent Move It lawsuit. This one is significant. The nationwide class action suit filed against Progress Software in the wake of the massive Move It breach could point to additional litigation against software companies whose vulnerable applications are exploited and large-scale supply chain attacks, according to legal experts. Progress faces claims of negligence and breach of contract, among many others, in five nationwide class action lawsuits fired by, fire, filed sorry, by consumer rights law firms Hagen's Berman. Uh, HBS after the Klopp ransomware gang exploited it. The attack has affected both multinational high-profile million and billion-dollar organizations like Shell Oil and British Airways, as well as smaller organizations and government organizations as well. Environments that have been vulnerable to versions of the software installed exposed PII of customers. Uh, HBS claims in all that progress has compromised the sensitive PII of more than 40 million people and promises that more class actions are on the way as 600 organizations come forth. There is some truth to that, by the way, and I'll tell you why. Chances are um, there's a class action that's going against Move It. There's going to be lawsuits um, from companies against companies that used move it that compromised information because the insurance companies that are paying out these claims are going to sue them and they're in turn going to sue move it so i mean the, the 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 legal case here is really kind of building up um and and, and you're likely to see stuff like this really come through so so uh like other settlements and the move it suits, the, the Acelion case was based on claims of negligence, breach of contract, and invasion of privacy. And that's that's the one where there was an eight million eight point one million dollar settlement relating to the zero day exploit at Acelion. And that's that's really small. I don't think that's gonna be the case here. I think this one could be um in 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 the Equifax range because of the amount of companies that are victims. See, it's not it's not the 40 million uh PII records that were divulged. It's the 600 million, it's the 600 companies and then that tree. And if you start to build that tree, you're talking in the thousands of companies that were impacted by this. IBM was using MoveIt as part of their data analytics business. That's how they were transferring files back and forth in some cases. That's how they were collecting data um, to run stuff through. 
I mean, th th that's, a, that's, a, that's going to have a whole bunch of people there as well. So, so I kind of see that as being uh, really a standard. Google has announced a new Google uh, Chrome 116 security update patches five memory safe vulnerabilities reported by external researchers, including four issues rated high severity. The most severe is CVE 2023-4430, a use after free bug in the Vulkan, the cross-platform open standard for 3D graphics. The vulnerability reported by Cassidy King, who received a $10,000 bug bounty. Good job, Cassidy. Keep that up. And with that being said, the new Chrome 116 is now released, and these will be weekly. And now, to end our show, Reaction Wednesday. We'll have to do some sort of something at some point. I don't know when. But uh, the first time I read this story, that ONCD is extending a deadline for comments on a new sector of cybersecurity requirements. Industry academics and nonprofits now have until the 31st of October to respond to the call for evidence. The Office of the National Cyber Director has extended the deadline by which it's seeking to collect evidence from industry on new baseline cybersecurity requirements. Previous members of the community include regulated entities, academics, and nonprofits. They had until the 15th of September. They now have until October 31st, which is Halloween. Eerie. The White House earlier this month issued a request for information as it seeks views on how to harmonize and streamline new proposed cybersecurity regulations across all sectors of the U.S. economy. Uh, in an updated note in the Federal Register, the ONCD said it's seeking input from stakeholders to better understand existing challenges with regulatory overlap, explore a framework for reciprocity in regulator acceptance of other regulations, recognition of compliance with baseline requirements, and harmonizing as using the RFI refers to a common set of updated baseline regulatory requirements that would apply to that. So uh, here's the deal. Here's my reaction on this. One, I've yet to see a regulation issued by the government that stopped a data breach. Haven't seen it. Don't see it. All I see these standards as being is more kind of trying to set a baseline. I think the government should set a baseline to the government agencies and then to its subsequent supply chain. I think the government should stay out of small business. And I think industries are better, better suited to regulate this. Meaning if I'm in the financial industry, it's more likely that the gathering of CISOs from all the financial industry would result in a better shift towards harmonizing cybersecurity and information sharing between all of them and their respective ISACs to each other. All regulatory uh, oversight tends to do is add a sort of either liability or, or exemption clause, which in most cases doesn't help. If you want to create a sort of partnership between private and public, then the idea is not to create regulatory standards, but rather to create partnership standards in cyber because cyber is in everything. And so kind of like my, my thought on this, to be honest, is that's great that you're extending it, but, but your premise is flawed to begin with. And because it's a flawed premise, um, that regulatory and regulation is somehow going to solve cyber. It's not, it hasn't, and it won't. Um, um, what, what's going to solve cyber is partnerships. And what's going to solve cyber is our ability to support our weakest links, are these the small businesses that drive America. And so one great thing to do from the federal side would be to create a kind of fund per state that goes to the state uh, team, right? Like every state should have a cybersecurity czar. You go to that cybersecurity czar, you give them some sort of federal grant, and in turn, they're reinforcing school districts and small businesses, and they're offering tools, even if, you know, it's, it's basic, you know, 
XDR that some small businesses can put on their environment or, or some sort of, you know, 311 cyber helpline for some companies with, with a small incident response team that can help deal with, you know, small business type cyber attacks. That's how you would create more. Uh, uh, and I think a far more impacting piece to that. Um, so, so that's just my humble opinion. You don't have to take me for that, but I just feel like that's probably going to be more beneficial than any sort of federal regulation that'll come through on companies. Um, cause I feel like most companies, yeah, I know we have challenges in budgeting, but they don't want to get hacked. We're way over time way over time this morning but that's it for our show today thank you all for tuning in really appreciate it we'll be back tomorrow with a whole lot more until then have a great great rest of your day i'm gonna enjoy the rest of my celsius and stay cyber safe y'all we love feedback so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform